This is 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of each week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while, or even spend the winter, so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost, because a great door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. When Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. No one then should treat him with contempt. Send him on his way in peace, so that he may return to me. I am expecting him along with the brothers. Now, about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to go to you with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous, be strong. Do everything in love. You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to submit to such people and to everyone who joins in the work and labours at it. I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunatus and Achaicus arrived, because they have supplied what was lacking from you, for they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets at their house. All the brothers and sisters here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. If anyone does not love the Lord, let that person be cursed. Come, Lord. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen. Well, good day, everyone. It's great to see you all. Uh, my name's Duncan. It'd be great to meet you if we haven't met before. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity Church, Victor Harbour. Uh, and it's great to gather together. It's a strange thing that we do, isn't it? We um, sort of gather together and we spend time thinking about a 2,000-year-old letter 
And not only that, I spent a whole week thinking about the greetings at the end of the letter uh, and the kind of last bits that you kind of just scan over easily in your mind. Uh, But there is a good reason for that. Uh, Actually, what we have, every part of this is God's inspired word to us, given to us for our good. Uh, And so really looking forward to seeing what uh, God is going to do among us through his word today. So uh, let me just pray uh, quickly and then we'll, we'll dive in. Our gracious Father, thank you for that you've taken care of the big things, that Jesus has died and risen again, and that in him we have hope and life and light. I thank you that you care for the small things too, for the details of our lives. Thank you that the gospel shapes every part of life. Please, Lord, we pray that you might turn us from our self-centeredness, turn us from the ways in which we can easily compartmentalise life and sort of box things off from you. Please, Lord, we pray that we might live all of life, every part of our lives, under your good and loving lordship so that your gospel might go out, your name be proclaimed. Many people find life in you. And uh, we pray this for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you might have heard the phrase, uh, pie in the sky when you die. You heard this phrase? Uh, it comes from a song written about 100 years ago. I had to look this up. Uh, it's, uh, and the song is about someone who's so focused on heaven that they haven't got anything to say to, about life here and now, kind of in the, the details of life here and now. So someone asks this guy for something to eat, and he says, You will eat by and by in that glorious land above the sky. Work and pray. Live on hay. You'll get pie in the sky when you die. <laughs> uh, well, we've um, spent the last three weeks looking at this incredible chapter of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 15. What a rich feast it's been. I hope you've really got a lot out of it these last three weeks. Um, one of the most the high points of the Bible, that chapter. And we've seen that the Christian faith is grounded in the past, Right? Uh, Remember that uh, from a few weeks ago, the Christian faith is grounded in the past, in the great achievement of of God, in Jesus' death and resurrection. Paul says that's what's of first importance, the foundation of everything. You take away Jesus' resurrection and the whole thing crumbles. But with it, it's an unshakable foundation. Uh, But we've been seeing as well that the gospel points us forward. The other way, yeah, forward as well. Uh, The gospel points us forward too. Jesus' resurrection in the past guarantees an incredible future for everyone who is connected to him by faith. Remember that illustration we had a few weeks back of Jesus bursting through death and dragging through with him everyone who was connected to him. There is an incredible, we have a glorious hope, but not just for us. It's a cosmic hope for the whole creation for all things being made new and brought fully and finally under Jesus' lordship. But the question remains, how does all of this impact life here and now? Does all this kind of high theology leave us dreaming about pie in the sky when we die? When we could be eating steak on the plate while we wait. I don't know. But, but do you know, does it, all, does it all leave us thinking about just pie in the sky when you die? Uh, there's another saying that kind of ties into this. Someone's so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly good. Is that what the Christian hope does to us? Does it disconnect us from real life here and now, from the details of life, 
Well, the answer that we get in this chapter, chapter 16, is a resounding no to that question. The gospel doesn't disconnect us from the world, kind of leaving us dreaming about pie in the sky when we die. It does, in fact, the the exact opposite to that. Uh, We caught a glimpse of that last week at the very last verse of chapter 15, which kind of is a bit of a hinge going from that chapter into this one. These amazing words that he finishes the chapter with. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. So that, that's Paul's conclusion to this incredible chapter about the resurrection. The outworking of our resurrection faith and hope is a transformed life here and now. And what we have in this last chapter of the letter is Paul goes from this, the heights, it's a bit of a roller coaster. he kind of goes from right up high, this, the high theology of the resurrection and the future hope, and he dives right down into the nitty-gritty details of everyday life. It can be tempting if you kind of have a Bible reading plan or something, you get to these last bits of the letters, it can be tempting to kind of just skim over them. I think that's a mistake, though. We'll miss out on something vital that God wants us to hear if we do that. Uh, Before we dive into it, it's important to see also that Paul doesn't just view this as about individuals. This chapter, and in fact the whole letter, is about churches. It's about the church in Corinth, first of all, but it's also about every gathering of God's people in Christ. And what this chapter brings home to us in a really powerful way, I think, is that these churches, these networks of ordinary, bog-standard, everyday people like you and me are at the centre of the mighty, amazing, miraculous, transforming work of God in this world. Really. Uh, This little dysfunctional church in Corinth was. um, Our church, all... Churches, faithful churches united to Christ are at the centre of the mighty work of God in the world. And what this chapter should do for us, friends, as we kind of reflect on it, we meditate on it, is fuel our imaginations for the way we can take our place, both as individuals and as a church together, in this incredible resurrection gospel work that Paul's been talking about. So I'm excited to look at it together. Um, let's, uh, let's dive in. Uh, so the first way the gospel transformed everyday life had to do with money. I, th- I find this very interesting. Um, John Wesley famously said that the last part of a man to be converted is his wallet. <laughs> uh, there's something to that, right? Money has such a grip on us, doesn't it? Uh, according to Jesus, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, but money can, when it's not an idol, when it hasn't gripped our hearts and when we're, not, when we're not living for it, when we see it as what it is, a gift from a loving father to be given out, it actually can do great good, be a blessing for others. Um, that's how Paul wanted the Corinthians to see their money, as God's gift to them, that they can then give on to others. Um, so in the background of what's going on here, there's, uh, there's a situation going on in this church in Jerusalem. Uh, there was, we know that there was a really significant famine at the time. So uh, this church was probably a church in real need. And along the way, Paul gives uh, the Corinthians and actually us some really helpful principles about giving, 
uh, in the light of the gospel, uh, giving our money away. So let's uh, read it together. Verse 1. Uh, now about the collection of the Lord, uh, for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. So this isn't just for them. It's sort of a more broader thing. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I'll give letters of introduction to the men you, you approve and send them with your gifts to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. Now, just notice a few things here. Uh, back in verse 2, you see how their giving was to be systematic and regular on the first day of every week. Um, uh, some, some of us are responsive givers, and that's good. We kind of give to a need. I think it's good for all of us to be, actually. A need crops up, we, we kind of... Um, our reflex should be to see how we can help it. But notice that's not what's in view here. What Paul is urging is a committed, long-term pattern, a habit of giving, uh, a re of regular giving. And you notice, too, each of them was to contribute... Um, that's quite interesting, isn't it? Because we know that this church in Corinth was a church, remember back in chapter 11, there were rich people in the church and there were very poor people in the church too. You might expect Paul to say just the rich people should be giving money, but that's not what he says. Uh, this is how the gospel, I think, gives us a totally different way to view the world uh, and to view our lives, to, to view our money Giving isn't a chore that rich people have the bad luck to be lumped with. It is a grace. It is a gift. It is a joy for those who have been given everything in Christ to themselves give. And Paul wants the poor, just as much as the rich, to experience that grace of giving. But see how he's so um, subtle and nuanced here as well and thoughtful and pastoral? Because uh, he does also recognise that there are different income levels in this church. So he says, give in keeping with your income. Uh, give in a proportionate way. So if you're earning more, you give more. Now, over the centuries, Christians have found wisdom in the Old Testament pattern of giving 10% of your income. I think there's something to be said for that. It's a helpful benchmark, not kind of to limit you. Um, and, and maybe you might not be able to give that much. You might be able to give much more than that. So gospel giving that's in view here is systematic. It's proportionate to your income. It's thoughtful. Sort of notice how it builds up over time. But notice too in verse 3 and 4, there's a real transparency that Paul urges and commands <laughs> around money. Um, Approved people were to take this gift from the church to the church in Jerusalem. Maybe Paul would go with them too. And there needed to be systems in place to handle this money in an open, transparent way. And that's really important. Um, so, there's, look, there's lots to think about here, but is this how you think about your money? Or perhaps we should say the money that God has given you and the importance of being a giver a gospel giver, if the gospel is true, if church really is at the heart of God's work in the world, if Jesus is Lord of the world, he is Lord of your wallet too. Uh, and you have an opportunity to invest in eternal things, 
to give yourself to God's gospel work through your giving. Um, it's so encouraging to, that our church is full of generous gospel givers um, who know how much God has given to them. Uh, if you're not currently giving to the gospel work in our church in that kind of systematic way, um, there might be many reasons for that. If the reason is you're not sure how to go about doing it, the best way is through direct debit, and you can find details on the back of the handout. We're not a church that talks about money lots. Uh, we are a church committed to the Word of God, and so when the Word of God speaks about money, we speak about money, <laughs> and unapologetically, because it is God's good Word to us and His gift of grace that we become generous, regular givers ourselves. Okay, let's move on from those first few verses. Paul changes gear in the rest of the chapter. Uh, he shares all these insights. It's this fascinating insight into these networks that he's enmeshed in. All of these people going around, working for the gospel in different places. Uh, so he talks about himself in verse 5 and his plans to come and see them in person. Uh, you can't, if you've got your, your Bibles, it won't be on the screen, but if you can skim through your Bibles, you'll see he talks about Timothy in verse 10, Apollos in verse 12, Stephanus in verse 15. There's lots of details which we're not going to be able to get into, but I do want to pull out a few things about this, this gospel going. Um, this gospel going. The normal thing the gospel does is send ordinary people out to go into the world with the transforming news of Jesus. That's normal, everyday, miraculous resurrection life. Uh, Jesus sends people to go in the power of his spirit, standing on the solid foundation of his death and resurrection, free because they have the sure hope of their own resurrection in him, uh, that was the pattern in this early church. You get these insights in these letters about. It's still the pattern today. And as you read about these ordinary people going out into the world with the gospel, it invites you to ask, well, where could I go? Where could I go? Um, maybe for some of us, it's far away. I mean, why not? Why not? Uh, why not start a conversation? Uh, chat to me, chat to uh, go, someone at the Bible College up in um, Adelaide, chat to CMS, the Church Missionary Society, chat to Bush Church Aid. See what doors open for you. Um, as a church, we want to be a going church. Um, we want to be a church that plants growing gospel communities in the towns of our region. Uh, God has placed us here, and we have the bright light of the gospel. Uh, we've made an intentional focus on the other major town in our region, that's a growing town, Gulwa. Um, maybe you could commit to support that work in some real tangible way, to get it off the ground. And I'd love to chat to you about that, if that's something that you'd like to think about. But there's another question here, not just how can I go, but who can I support in their going? Um, like the, the Corinthians, right? They were to support and encourage Timothy as he came to visit them and to send him on encouraged. They were to submit to and recognise Stephanus uh, as a leader in their own church who was labouring for the gospel. Um, what, what might that kind of supporting others in their gospel going, gospel working look like for us? It might look like signing up 
to CMS, going and getting the magazine out there afterwards, getting our church missionary um, emails, praying for them, sending them emails. It might look like joining a ministry team here in our own church. And as you do that, to recognise and submit to those leaders God has given you here. So there's lots that's in here, but notice another thing that I just wanted to pull out from this whole section. There is a beautiful combination here of relying on God's leading and using common sense and ordinary strategic planning. <laughs> there's a, I think there's a beautiful combination. Uh, sometimes we can tend towards either end of those, can't we? Like some of us um, can think that Planning and strategic thinking is somehow unspiritual, uh, that truly spiritual people should just float around in the moment. Or some of us might be on the other end of the spectrum, you're just more practical, you just want to get things done, you make a plan and you do it, and without any real dependence on God um, in that. Do you see how Paul beautifully combines both of these? He uses his mind... <laughs> He uses his common sense. He makes plans. And at the same time, he depends utterly on God through it all. So uh, down in verse 7, he, he's making a plan to go and see them, but he says, only if the Lord permits. See that combination of thoughtful planning and openness to where God leads him. Uh, verse 9, he makes a plan to stay on at Ephesus because God has opened a door for him. Uh, for effective work. Uh, did you notice that? Interesting in verse 9, part of God opening a door for him is that many people oppose him. That's interesting, isn't it? So Paul, Paul sees opposition to what he's doing as actually a sign that God is at work. And he's like, okay, I don't want to retreat from this. I'm going to persist here because God has opened a, a, a door. Anyway, so big picture, the gospel shapes all of life. It shapes our, their giving, it shapes their going, it also shapes their greeting of one another. Down in verse 19, um, some really beautiful verses. Verse 19, the churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord. And so does the church that meets in their house. All the brothers and sisters here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. So it can kind of seem just like a formality, you know, just so-and-so greets you, so-and-so greets you. But I think it's actually something much deeper going on here. Uh, remember this church Paul's writing to has serious problems. There's infighting, they're taking each other to court, uh, there's factions growing around different leaders. And this little couple of verses here, in a way it kind of brings the whole letter full circle um, the gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection cuts under all of our pride, our factionalism. It raises us up to something much more wonderful. The resurrection hope is so much bigger than our petty rivalries, than individuals competing with one another. The resurrection hope is of a new humanity, living in a new creation, reconciled to God and reconciled to one another. Uh, that, that reconciliation in Christ is between different churches. You notice that? The churches in the different regions. I, re I think actually we have a really unique opportunity in our network to live this kind of thing out because 
Uh, we're part of a network of gospel churches that do this. They greet one another warmly as we partner together in the gospel. Um, it's part of sort of between churches, but it's also in churches, isn't it? Sometimes it's easier to get on with a church over there than with my church here, right? Uh, in the actual body that God has placed you in with the people you know, uh, the people who may have said or done thoughtless or even hurtful things to you, or maybe more confronting with the people who you've hurt by your own thoughtlessness or sin. Even there, even there, the gospel proclaims and brings about reconciliation, unity in the body of Christ. So Paul tells them this really um, very short but quite beautiful instruction. He says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, uh, what's going on there? Do we need to see holy kissing break out in our church? Uh, I don't think so. I think that was a culturally appropriate way to express a warm greeting um, in that time and place. We'll have other ways of doing that. But you, you see what's at the heart of it. The aim is the same, to greet each other warmly and in holiness. Um, greet each other like you would family or brothers and sisters Close friends, in Christ you are, brothers and sisters. We are in his body. Uh, Paul's saying to this church that is broken by divisions, he's saying, greet one, greet one another, be with each other like this, like, like family, in both holiness and intimacy, in godliness and closeness. Be the kind of community where lonely people can find friendship. Um, be the kind of community where vulnerable people are safe and honoured. Uh, where you don't form cliques and factions, but you're kind of on the lookout for who you can be a blessing to. That kind of community will stand out as an incredible powerful witness to the beauty and the truth and the goodness of the gospel. Okay, there's so much in this chapter, isn't there? It's a, it's a really deep insight into the, how the gospel shapes the details of life, shapes our giving, our going, our greeting. But what Paul does at the end there, he makes two final pleas, or actually not in the end, uh, one of them's right in the middle. Uh, first to the people of themselves and then to God. We'll finish with these a couple of things. So right in the middle of this chapter, nestled away in there, uh, this is kind of one of those verses you want to write out, whack on your fridge or whatever you, you can, to me memorise it, lock it away in your heart. It's like kind of Paul's marching orders, right? It's this short, memorable instruction that summarised so much of his letter. Uh, he knows that this kind of gospel relationships, these this gospel giving and going, this greeting one another, he knows that this is hard. It'll take enormous courage and strength. He knows that this church, that Christians, all Christians through the, through the ages, are going to face attack from without and from within. And he knows that they'll need this beautiful mixture of strength and love. See that? There's a kind of hardness and a tenderness. 
He leaves them with this incredible plea. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. And do everything in love. Isn't that a beautiful combination? Um, Strength and love. Um, It is an incredible and wonderful thing that Paul finishes with, this plea to them. But our ultimate hope is not in our own efforts, Um, even our own efforts to kind of put that into practice. Our ultimate hope is in God himself. So Paul ends in verse 22. He pleads with God. He says, if anyone does not love the Lord, let that person be cursed. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. It's a bit of a jarring verse, isn't it? (laughs) Um, Talking about being cursed. But there's a warning here that's driven by love. A warning that is meant to bring us to repentance. If Jesus has been raised from the dead, if every power and authority opposed to God will be brought unto him, if God won't let sin and death go on forever in this world because he loves it too much, then the day will come when all things, including all people opposed to God, will face curse, not blessing. So this is a moment to ask yourself, is that you? Are you someone who does not love the Lord? And if so, will you hear his warning and turn to him, turn to Christ today? Because the great gift of God is that by his spirit, you can do that. You can do that. You can have a relationship with him. That means you can cry out, come, Lord. Come, Lord, and put everything right. Come and bring everything under your good rule. Come and finally bring to nothing all the ruin of this world, all the sadness and brokenness and sickness and death. Come, Lord, and you can have that. You can have that because of what Paul says next in his next line, verse 23. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Friends, the gospel is the great, wonderful, undeserved, glorious grace of God. The grace of the Lord poured out on rebels who did not love him so that we could love him. It is the amazing gift of the Father in his Son by his Spirit so that we could receive not curse, but endless blessing and life and fullness and joy. And filled with that, you know, that gospel that frames this whole letter. Remember, Paul starts with it, with the cross. He finishes with the resurrection. All of life is brought under this wonderful gospel, filled with that grace, empowered by that grace. We can give generously. We can go boldly. We can greet each other warmly for God's glory and the salvation of the world. So friends, in the light of all that, let's just reflect on these words again from verse 13 and 14. I'm going to read them out and then just leave a bit of 
uh, quiet for us to reflect on those, and then I'll, then I'll finish by praying. Empowered and held by the grace of our Lord in his wonderful gospel, be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. And do everything in love. Our gracious Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for the blessing of this word. We thank you for your grace that has been poured out on us in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that that gospel is not just about the past and our future. It shapes every part of life today. I thank you that you are at work in this world through your gospel and among and through us as your church, the gathering of your people, this body of Christ. And we pray, Lord, as we reflect on everything we've heard through this letter um, about factions and infighting, about holiness and purity, about, um, about uh, gifts and how, to, how we use our gifts for your glory. Lord, we pray that you might be at work in this body, please, to build us up, to grow us, uh, to make us effective in your service so that we might give and go and uh, greet each other in this kind of a way and be a shining light into this community and to, into this world. And we pray that for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.